yeah, I, I just want to dink. Yeah. And so when things get really stressful for me, and that's what I do is I just I cut everything out and I just what does my heart want to make right now in this moment, and that's what I'm going to make. And I just focus completely on that, and then I'm better. Hello, and welcome to the PFRS Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Dahl, and this is Episode 2. I'm here with owner and founder of Stokes Co. Leather, artist, craftsman, creator of the compact cribbage game, Mr. Matthew Stokes. How we doing, sir? <laughs> I'm doing great. Awesome, How you doing? Man. I'm doing good. Had a great day. Nice, productive, and uh, yeah, just living life out here in Portland in the Soon to be rain. It was a nice cold day. Nice. How's it going over there in yeah, it's Bend? Been dry guys? It's actually been it's been nice here, but yeah, weather's coming. Yeah. How so is your we li- here? It's bonfire season. Ooh, yeah. Last time we were over there, we uh, <laughs> yeah had a good time with the bonfire and the uh, the baked beans cannon. Yep. <laughs> that was a good time. We'll have to do it again well, without coming. the uh, without the storm. Yeah. Well, uh, you just got back on vacation a couple weeks ago. How was that? It was great. Yeah, I spent some time in Missouri. Never been to Missouri before. Uh, you know, it's everywhere I go, uh, even, you know, Nebraska, Kansas, places that, uh, you know, most people don't go and travel to, you know, necessarily go on destination vacation i always find something amazing to do and missouri yeah it's uh, i would i would love to go back i'd love to spend more time there kansas city is a phenomenal city phenomenal yeah yeah i loved it but it's good to be home nice what took you out there my kids they they live in a little town called hopkins which is like 300 people I think, I think the raccoons outnumber the people like a thousand to one. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> There's raccoons everywhere. Oh man. <laughs> That's unreal. So uh let's let's take it way back here. Um you started as a contractor, right? And uh yep. what was your first experience with metal art? And how did that come about in conjunction with your uh, contractor business and being a carpenter and a craftsman? Well, uh, over the last week, I've retold this story driving around in my truck like a hundred times. So I'm, I'm going to try and uh, paraphrase <laughs> here for like five hours. I know, right? Uh, so my dad was a contractor. And so growing up, that's like all I wanted to do. That's all I want. I was... I loved the fact that they could take just a big stack of lumber and piece together this house and the construction and everything. I just, I loved it. So that's all I wanted to do. So I worked for him for a few years and then about 04, I got my license and started contracting. 
and business was good. I I did amazing for a few years, and then the recession hit, yeah. and I steadily lost absolutely everything to where I was down to. I mean, I was scraping up change. I was staying in fences. I was helping people move, like anything I could to make a penny. Yeah. And one morning, uh, it was probably like 08, uh, 08, 09, somewhere in there. Um, I got up, I got my coffee, and I wrote down on a list of paper. I'm coming around to your question. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. (laughs) This This will all make sense. I wrote down on a list of paper every single person that I could think of, friend, family, peer, every person that could potentially give me any kind of work. And I sat down in my bed with my coffee and I just prayed over that list. The first person I called was a guy named Lauren Hayden. And I'd only met him a couple of times, but he was a contractor in band and and uh, I really appreciated his work and you know the things he was doing. So I call him, uh, and when he answers, he says, uh, he's like, man, your ears must have been ringing. And I'm like, yeah? And he's like, yeah, I was just talking about you. He's like, what are you doing for work right now? And I'm like, I happen to be doing nothing. <laughs> and so I started working for Lauren Hayden. And the reason that that's significant to this story is that Lauren Hayden – um, is one of the greatest artistic minds that I've ever been around. Wow. The guy, the guy is, um, there, there's no limit to his imagination. In fact, for the next two years working for him, my job was to figure out how in the hell we're going to accomplish everything that he's telling these clients he's going to do with their home. What that did to me is it, shifted my mindset because I've always been artistic mm-hmm. and so I you know I've always wanted to talk clients into do, doing something let's do copper countertops or let's yeah. do life edge cabinets or you know let's do something cool and they just want the marble they want the oak cabinets they want the wood floors just like their neighbor and I was so burnt out on putting down MD baseboard that I never wanted to see it again and so working with him showed me that the sky's the limit I can do whatever I want I I dream it up I can I can make it happen I just follow my heart so fast forward a little bit um we did a, a sign for a I don't remember medical something or other but it was a steel sign, and we were behind his shop, and he sprayed this chemical on it, and it just the the rust just like bloomed. It just oh, popped wow. off the steel. I remember seeing that and just being absolutely mem- mem- mesmerized. Just it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah, and that spun me. Before that, I'd been thinking about how I would like to do like metal art I, I didn't even know how to weld i didn't know anything but yeah yeah wanted to do metal art and so seeing that kind of spun me well then we were out of work for a while i was in my shop and we had done a little project in my shop and 
there was these steel plates, and so I decided that I wanted to make them rust. So I got online one night and I I looked up a bunch of recipes, and I found like six recipes, you know, peroxide, salt, bleach, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Tried all six of them, and they all came out different. I didn't really think much of it. They they all you know just like different textures, different colors. They all came out different, and I didn't really know what to do with that. But I you know I used one of the recipes to finish a little project that I was working on. Um, then I was driving my daughter to school one morning, and it occurred to me that I could paint. If all the rusts were different, I could paint with. You know, one rust could be the tree trunk. Another rust could be the leaves. Another yeah, rust yeah. could be the ground. And that moment really changed my life as far as that goes. So <laughs> what I didn't realize at the time, because I had never had any kind of direction, I'd never met yeah. anybody that was yeah. doing that, is that rust is completely unstable. <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> can do this beautiful amazing piece put a seal coat on it and in a month it's popped the coating and it's eating through that steel so that was a learning experience but in that process i figured out uh patinas and that's way way more stable you can control it a little better so i started using more patinas and a little bit of rust just for accent you know, somebody's hair where it doesn't matter if the hair in the image is going to rust through the coating. Yeah. And even if it eventually eats through the piece, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Character. It's cool. Yeah, it gives character to that piece. And so that, that was really it. It was the combination of, I really credit Lauren Hayden for giving me that mindset and also being flat broke and realizing that if I'm going to be broke as shit, I might as well be doing something that I really want to do. Yeah. And makes so sense. I, I created this art form and to my knowledge, nobody else does it. I've never seen anything like the metal art that I do. Mm-mm. No, I remember seeing that Kinda piece. Cool. I remember seeing that piece in your studio of the I think it was the ballet dancer, yeah, where you did that the that it's, joint it's piece, like kind of more like like a flapper girl, yeah, oh yeah yeah yeah, collab- Sophia, yeah, that's a beautiful piece, yeah, like the the pinks and the oranges in that piece are amazing. It was gorgeous. Um, so on that, what was what was the first what was the first piece of metal art then that you sold? For a profit, yeah, that's so you, you got to remember that. I, so, 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 oh, I do absolutely. So, the first, I still have the very first piece that I did. It's sitting in my shop. The very first piece of metal art was I was getting ready for a show, my first ever show, and it was at um, oh, it's a place here in Bend. I can't remember the name of it, but um, Armature. It used to be armature. Now it's, I don't know, regardless. So I I gather up all my pieces and I'm thinking like, I'm going to sell out. I'm going to sell every single one of these pieces and I'm going to make like five grand tonight. And I'm just like dreaming big, right? 
Yeah. And I made this panel. So the panels that I make, I take sheet metal, you know, I cut them. I basically cut them and then back bevel and roll the ends so that it ends up being just like a canvas. So mm-hmm. it looks just like a, a canvas, but yeah. it's sheet metal. So I had one of those and nothing was on it. It was just a bare metal canvas. And I had this vat of um, muriatic acid and water. I like made this little like swimming pool. And it was like it was I know, don't tell the <laughs> <laughs> don't tell <laughs> the EPA. But anyway, I made this like swimming pool that was wrapped in uh, it was lined in visqueen and it was like a one to forty mix of muriatic acid and water. Oh that's and I used to dip pieces in there uh, to strip them. If I didn't like them, I would put them in there, and you would just eat everything. Yeah. You just eat them down there, stealing it. But I set this piece in, like the bottom half of it, I just set it in there. So, you know, it's probably eight inches tall and maybe three feet wide. It was a really wide um, canvas. And I set just the bottom half of it so that it was sitting in the in that solution. And I left it overnight. So when I came back the next day, the bottom half of it had like these striated layers of rust. And then where it was, you know, where the top portion of that steel was above the water, there was almost like these kind of smoke, you know, where where those, you know, the, where the acid was. The chemical reaction, yeah. Evaporating and kind of like rolling up the steel. And it ended up being, like, amazing. Yeah. But I didn't seal coat it. I didn't do anything. I basically took it out of the, the acid, hosed it down, dried it off, and I took it in just so that I could show people this is the difference. This is treated with acid. This is the raw steel. Before the show even went on, this yeah. couple walking through – and they saw that, and they were just like, oh, my God. And I d- described the process to them, and, and they're like, well, I, how much is that one? And I'm like, I wasn't even going to sell it. That was here. I was going to you know, explain how I do my process. And I'm like, it's not treated, so that thing is just going to rust like hell. It's going to deteriorate in about six years. And they're like, I don't care. How much is it? I'm like, 150 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I went and looked at it a couple years later, and there was, like, little scabs of rust, like, on their floor right below (laughs) it because it just kept deteriorating. It just kept, like, eating away and flaking off onto the floor. And she's like, yeah, we vacuum a couple times a week, and they love it. They absolutely (laughs) love it. That's so awesome, man. (laughs) That's great. 150 bucks. 150 bucks. <laughs> that was my first sale. That's crazy. And they and they still have it to this day and they love it. That's all, that's so cool. Yeah. And that's that was the hard part about that type of artwork is what I realized is um you know I was a little discouraged early on because I couldn't find anybody that does anything like it and then mm-hmm. I realized why is because it's super unstable. Because it's, yeah. you can't, it's really hard to get those reactions to slow down, you know, to, to control them in any way so that they're not just busting the surface of the, 
of the clear coat that you're putting on them and yeah and you know it, it's hard. It, it, it's not a painting. It's actually alive. It's actually continuing to oxidize and change over time, which is my favorite thing. And yeah. that was that was that, that's part of why I got out of it. The other part is that was that art form was it became my expression. Like my soul, I put mm-hmm. so much into every single one of those pieces, and none of them, not one of them, turned out like I thought it was going to turn out. It turned out better. It was That's like crazy. It, it, I mean, I like every piece turned out to be like my children. <laughs> like if I could have planned my children, <laughs> they would have been completely different than they are. But my kids are amazing. They're better than I could have created. Yeah. And so each one of those pieces, my process is taking the steel, cutting out the template, uh, treating the different steps, the different stages, the parts of the piece, clear coating them, washing them, treating again, peeling the template. And applying those chemicals, watching the chemicals like come to life and bloom and, you know, having a cigarette, drinking a beer and watching it just happen and then go to bed and get up the next morning like it's like it's Christmas and run out there to see what it did. And then washing it off and clear coating it and every piece became like such a significant part of me. Wow! That I could sell them. My shop is full of, <laughs> of, of artwork that nobody will ever see, and that and that's a shame. That's why I put so many pieces up in my shop, in my leather shop. Yeah, it's just so that people can see them. Wow. And yeah, they're not for sale. I had somebody offer me five thousand for my Walter Subcheck piece, and and I told them no <laughs> because because they keep changing, and that's the thing. You want and to be I'm, there. You I, want to be there to see him change. I want to be there exactly. I want to be there because those colors just keep like transitioning and they keep swirling and they keep little by little, year after year. That piece looks different. It's alive. It's actually moving. And so every one of those pieces. You know, it was like giving my son and just handing it to some stranger that gave me a thousand bucks and <laughs> you're like, good luck, buddy. And that's how it felt selling my artwork. And so, you know, I've always said, you know, there's no money in being a sentimental artist. I'm horribly sentimental and I couldn't let, I can't, I can't let them go. I can't let them go because I want to see what that baby that I gave life to, that I poured my heart into, I want to see what it looks like in 5, 10, 20 years. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, I'm a little greedy, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. And it's, it was hard to get, the other part of it was it was really hard to get people to recognize that. Maybe one in 300 people really got it. Mm-hmm. And we, I would set up at a show and people would walk through and they would look at a piece of art and I would describe that process and they'd be like, oh, okay. And they would keep walking and 
It's like I think there's a log furniture guy around the corner. <laughs> more, more your speed. Yeah. But then you get that person that it's just like, are you effing kidding me? Like this piece is going to continue to transition over time. It's like, yes, 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 it is. And it you can't is. have it. Yeah, no, I would sell it to that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. So I had to find a a different way to make money because I could not make any money being a metal artist. No. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I guess. So to, yeah, we're we're going to be your hours, man. <laughs> I know, right? This is this is going to be a. Uh, Part one, part two, part three, kind of, kind of show. <laughs> oh man! So while you were doing this, were you still contracting as well on the side, or were yeah, you? I have. So we we I talked have. about this when there was a moment when you realized that yes, contract being a contractor was your main source of income, but you had to make a realization of who you are as a tradesman or a craftsman. Yeah. And you made a transition from being a tradesman to being an artist and a craftsman. Um, tell me about that. Cause it's, it's a really interesting um, distinction. And I, I, I talk about it with my apprentices all the time, the difference between being a tradesman and being a craftsman and taking things seriously. But for you, it was completely different because you were doing something to pay your bills, but on the other side, your passion was had to be on the forefront of your personality and who you identified yeah. as, right? And it, it, it took a while for me to, you know, be selfish with that, I guess, to, to get to a point where uh, my happiness trumped um, the, the money. Yeah. Really. Um, um, I think, well, you know, I'm, I'm still there. I still have a contractor's license. I still have yeah. a, a, a safety net j- just in case. And yeah. Yeah. But you're not I, a carpenter. I, no. Yeah, right. No, I'm, I'm not. It's strictly, I mean, it's basically like going to work at Lowe's like it my, my my heart is not in it anymore I don't I don't want to be there yeah I don't unless it's a really cool job that's what I want uh, I'm trying to figure out how to answer this question um for years even before I met Lauren the my the artistic side of me was screaming Mm-hmm. absolutely screaming like i i was trying to figure out like well like i was saying before like i'm trying to get people to you know just do copper countertops or let's do something crazy i've been trying to sell steel floors to somebody for like a decade and nobody will bite it's like we've put some heat in the floor <laughs> And then I've got these, I've got this idea for like a bent metal, like two foot by two foot steel panels that would, you know, be recessed and then have steel flat bar, like eighth inch by two inch steel flat bar in a grid pattern on a Mm -hmm. floor. It would look 
freaking amazing. And it's going to patina and it's going to look, it's just going to get better and better and better. I can't for the life of me get anybody to bite on that stupid thing. And I tried that for so long because I was trying to incorporate my artistic mind. My It was going nuts. Mm-hmm. It just put down MDF baseboard and, you know, the, the same damn tile that everybody else has. And doing the exact same thing, I was losing my mind. And so that – shit, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so I, I think when, so that moment in my shop when I realized if I'm going to be broke as shit, I might as well be doing something that I love. And mm-hmm. I reached out and I started doing the metal art. When I really discovered what it felt like to take a part of my heart and place it into something that I'm so passionate about. I realized at that moment that for the rest of my life, if I have a burning desire to do something or to follow something, that that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to limit myself anymore. And that's why years later, when I wanted to learn how to sew, I didn't even know why. I wanted to patch my own clothes, and I wanted to build bags to place my artwork in for when I'm transporting them to shows. And it was for a year and a half. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to learn how to sew. And I finally found somebody that would teach me how to sew. Allison Murphy here in Bend, Oregon at Utilitu. And she's one of my favorite people in the world. She came out to my house. October 20th. It's coming up. October 20th, 2016 <laughs> is when I learned how to sew. And oh my when I finally learned how to sew, I that's... That's all I did. That's all I've been doing since. Is Wait, what What year? 2015. 2016. Dang. The really gnarly winter. Oh, Ooh. yeah. You got like three feet of snow and it stayed for months. Shit, that's like the 90s. That's how it yeah. was in the 90s down there. <laughs> no, man. I, I actually I quit smoking on October 20th, 2012. That's that's wow. crazy. That's crazy. Good for you. Yeah. I quit every day. <laughs> Mama didn't raise no quitter. <laughs> oh man. So so your bags, your the first bags you made were from drop cloth, right? Yeah. And yeah, that was so... that was just for tools, for your art, for your metal art, for just whatever. How how did that come about and how did that transition into something that well, be, being a contractor, I had a ton of drop cloths and yeah. a bunch of old ratty work pants. So when I was learning, you know, after Allison came out and gave me that three hour class, then I was helping my buddy Polly uh, frame his house here in bend, which was fun and, you know, we were getting like eight inches of snow a night, and so shoveling out just so we can frame for a few hours. That sucked. That that made me really driven to not do this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know so we're getting, I, we're getting to that year, that time of year where I don't want to weld outside at all. <laughs> so uh, I would get off work. I would come home, and my house was little by little. It, it was turned into a sewing studio. 
my kitchen island was an ironing board and there was fabric all over the countertops and the the table was the sewing machine and all the tools and whatever I was working on at the time and we just my my daughter and I started taking apart we would disassemble Carhartts mm-hmm. that were all ratty and torn up and get the zipper out of them and make little like makeup bags out of the zipper and out of the Carhartt fabric and and I started making um so I came up with my own patterns like just like the metal art I'm just stubborn I I I've never watched YouTube. I've never downloaded a pattern. I've gotten very little advice from people. My my mindset is to learn it the hardest possible way, and that is just trial and error. Yeah. And reason like we in the leather work, the reason I did that is because I knew that at some point I'd be standing in line at the bank. And I can look at the bag in front of me that the ladies has on her shoulder and I'll be able to disassemble that entire bag, every single section of it, and know how that person did it. So when I get to that point, I want to maintain as much of my own artistic impression as possible. So I refused to look at any patterns i refuse to watch any youtube videos i watched one youtube video for about three minutes and it was on hand stitching because i could not figure out how in the hell they get the thread on the hand stitching needle to trail without having a knot or something and so i opened up a youtube video on hand stitching just long enough that they showed how to thread the needle and then i shut it off that's the only time i watched a youtube video so i did it all just trial and error like purely the hardest possible freaking way just so that i could keep that artistic my own artistic vision and for the most part i mean that's well and i'm super glad that i did i'm really glad that i did it that way and that's probably how i'm gonna always do it that's how i'm gonna do anything that i approach is i'm just gonna you know if the next thing is glass blowing i might burn down a couple shops before (laughs) who knows i might be throwing pots or something i don't know yeah dang (laughs) one one funny story is uh along those lines is I was up in Walla Walla visiting my dad and I was in a store and I'm, you know, pitching my bags and stuff, trying to get the guy to buy. And and he's like, he's like, well, do you have any wallets? And about a year before that, um, I met a guy in a a brewery and he turned, he's now a good friend of mine, Doug, but uh, it was the first time I'd ever met him. And we're sitting at the bar and he, finds out i do leather work and so he pulls out his wallet and he's he's like hey, i've got this little metal clip it's a little spring-loaded pump handle money clip and uh and he pulls it out of his wallet and he's like my wallet's going to shit he's like i want a new wallet he's like can you make something out of this and heck yeah i can so i took it i went home and over the course of the next three months i developed wallet after wallet probably eight wallets i still have them they're in a tote here at my house i was just looking at them the other day and i designed one wallet and i'd try it for a few days okay i don't like this about it so i'd make another one 
okay, I don't like that. So I tweak it, tweak it, tweak it, tweak it. Probably eight variations of this wallet. And then I finally came up with what we have now, the Tommy wallet, which we sell a ton of. And we've gotten a huge response to those. People tell me all the time it's the best wallet they've ever had. Wow. But I, I developed this Tommy wallet. And he bought the very, Doug bought the very first one. And then I just started selling them like crazy. So I'm in this store in Walla Walla, and the guy asked me if I have any wallets. And so I pull it out. I'm all proud. And I hand it to him, and he's like, how much are those? And I'm like, well, they retail for 75 And he's like, oh, I can sell those all day long for 55 And I'm like, not like this one. <laughs> back to his office. He comes out with a C.C. Filson money clip wallet that I shit you not is identical to mine identical the, the construction the pockets the stitch everything it's absolutely identical and it broke my heart because <laughs> i just spent three freaking months developing this stupid thing and it was kind of like climbing a mountain and there's a starbucks it was just it was oh heartbreaking like are you kidding me <laughs> and that's that's, That's the a, downside of doing it the way I do is I've developed several products and once you know I kind of make them live and people are buying them then I'll see other bags and it's just like oh okay. Yeah. Well it was an original idea to me <laughs> even though it's been done obviously for years and years and years but yeah. at least yeah. I came up with it on my shit. Damn. That's that's <laughs> re- that's really interesting. I was actually a, Oh man. Now that was a question of for later on was how do you how do you go about prototyping because your your cribbage board like this is your because your cribbage board is pretty much like your your latest thing I, I latest thing a year ago right it's when I first met you yeah um when you're going through and you're making these things are you the only one like you said you you make a wallet and you'd try it out for a few days or a few weeks and be like, Oh, well I, I don't like this, this and this. Then you change them. Did you, in your prototyping, do you like, do you go to the breweries in town or to the restaurants in town and, and kind of like put little feelers out and let people see and give you feedback or, um, not, not often. If anything, I'll, make a new product and I'll give it to a friend of mine mm-hmm. or, or, you know, somebody that I know, somebody, you know, a family member, um, especially like the first off anything. I'm so yeah. stupid sentimental that yeah, I usually keep the very first thing and yeah. then the second thing I'll actually give to somebody and be like, Hey, try it. See how you, see how you like it. Give me feedback. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't do that a lot. I'm super stubborn. I'm, I'm uh, really kind of in my own head, in my own world, uh, yeah. when, when I'm designing and creating. Now, is the studio that you're in right now your mm-hmm. your only? That's your only like storefront studio that you've had, right? Yeah. So did yeah, you ha- did, did you have a did you have a workshop or a studio work workshop slash studio that was not a storefront before that? It was my living room. That was your living room? Yeah. Dang. Yeah, I my in fact it's still is about half of it now is I, I have two workbenches. I've got two 
laser engravers and yeah but yeah for i don't know for years that this is the only place that i did it is they had sewing machine and yeah skyver burnisher and i was do i did everything right here in my living room so when you decided to do your studio slash storefront that you have now what was your what was your mindset in going into that and how did you how did you plan or how long did it take you to plan everything for because being meticulous as you are and having a certain way that you want to see things and having a vision how long did it take you to to actually you know put hammer to nail and turn what your studio is now into what it is well i i don't get called meticulous very often but <laughs> uh, I, my wife I, I my wife has one of your bags i know how meticulous you are it's it's not like everything you do has purpose like that's that yeah my my workbench is just organized chaos like i know where everything is but well, that's the that's the only important can... thing right there <laughs> um it actually it just kind of happened you know, I'd, I'd been thinking about it. I actually talked to a guy over in the valley, over in Sherwood. Okay. Um, about a year earlier. It was right when COVID was just starting. Mm-hmm. When it wasn't really a thing yet. People were just talking about it. And shit was starting to get canceled. And I was over there. We were having a beer. And, and yeah, I was, I was going to rent a shop in Sherwood and move. I had it all set up. I had a place to stay, and I was getting ready to open a shop in Sherwood, Oregon, and leave Bend. Wow. And COVID hit. Everything shut down, and I just kind of settled in and and passed on that idea for the moment, but I was still planning on doing it. And then this place opened up in Bend, and it's with a, a good friend of mine was a good friend now he's a great friend he's one of my best friends uh will nash the world famous will nash who owns the building now that i'm in mm-hmm. but yeah he, he approached me and said hey there's an available spot and it's a spot that i'd looked at a couple of times and kind of talked to him about and uh yeah it just kind of happened it just kind of fell in my lap and god wanted me to stay in bend i guess yeah so with covid hitting and how much stock did you have invested in? Well, not really. I had stocks the wrong word. How much, how much of yourself did you have invested in, in moving to Sherwood and how did that failure to capitalize on that, that move affect you in your, in your decision to, to open a shop? Was it just like, did you just, just cancel it out and say, well, that's just not, not in God's plan. And, wait for yeah. the next one or was it did it did it knock you down and and kind of make you second guess yourself well there's well, yeah i mean i i second guess myself almost daily but there's there's a lot of moving parts to that uh there's there's a lot more to it than just you know just the leather work or just choosing to move or not to move and which i i won't get into everything but there was yeah, there, there was a lot more to it, and I, you know, I was really excited about the move to Sherwood for multiple reasons. And when that, when COVID hit and everything was shut down, yeah, everybody was in 
you know, lockdown mode, like yeah. just, you know, sit down and wait this thing out. And I sat down and I waited it out and that it just, it just happened the way that it happened. And I, it, it wasn't really any planning on my part. It just kind of, yeah, you know, the shop opened up here and, you know, I, I kind of, reached out to the guy in Sherwood a few times and he never responded to me and I just said, All right, I guess I'm this Stay is in. where I'm supposed to be, so this is where I'm at. Yeah. And I'm really happy that I did. I'm I love where where I'm at now. I absolutely yeah. love it. It's a great spot. Yeah, when Sarah and I came and did that walkthrough last year, it was it was amazing what you what you've put together in there. And then your crew Thank that you. you've assembled is is amazing too what they're able to accomplish in there yeah you know i appreciate that yeah man i i it's 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 crazy to think because it's a small space and what you're mm -hmm. able to turn out of that small space is is incredible <laughs> <laughs> i'm all we've kind of covered a lot of stuff here um and I'm trying to think of if i've actually answered any of your questions <laughs> <laughs> i keep kind of spinning off it's all good man it's 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 funny <laughs> I, you try to you try to keep it in a linear like flow and and a lot of times the stories end up answering questions later on so one of the biggest things of what i love about your bags and what you do in talking to you it, it totally makes sense why you would choose leather as a median coming from doing steel work because every piece of leather is different just it by nature mm -hmm. right i mean you can you can pick out yeah. you know leather that's been processed and everything so it's almost each piece is almost identical and the colors are almost identical but in just in the nature yeah, of but, the the beast yeah no pun, no pun intended you know <laughs> but you know, you can find you you can find a piece of leather that has a brand on it, that has scars on it, that has you know that's has mm. so much character. How how did you learn about leather? Not not the actual like the fabrication of the pieces because that like you said you trial and error you basically pick the hardest way possible mm. and just trudged through, which is I think it's the best way to. That's usually that's in almost everything that I've learned on the job my a journeyman or an old guy it's just been like you're gonna do it this way and it's the hardest way possible and i'm not gonna teach you the easy way um you know and you end up yeah you end up working that's, through it that's the best way yeah, it is for sure. um where did you learn about leather and how to choose it and how to how to know based on the product project that you were going to work on you know, how did you learn how to pick the piece of leather for the piece of of art, or the or the handbag, or the wallet, or the, yeah. or you know what I mean? Well, even even that was trial and error. So uh, back in thirteen, I believe, a company called Maverick Leather Company, who's um, a wholesale supplier, so they they buy leather from. You know, a lot of the major tanneries in the U.S. at a discount because it's you know surplus leather, mm -hmm. and then they they bring it to their warehouse here in Bend, and then they sell it at a 
you know, a, a discount. It's a little cheaper than other places you can get leather. Yeah. Um, just um, extraordinarily fortunate that that place is a couple miles from my house. And yeah. so when I when I was making these bags, when I was coming up with these designs, uh, you know, they were all canvas bags. I made out of drop cloth, so they've got holes and they've got weak points. And I realized that the handles were a huge weak point because they were yeah. over, the canvas was already stressed. So yeah, once you put you know ten pounds of canned goods in there, it just rips right off. So. I decided to do leather, to do like leather patches and reinforce different pieces out of leather. And so I went into Maverick here in town and just started rummaging through their their uh, um, scrap bins and buying little pieces of leather. And um, that's really hanging out there. Um, Maddie, the owner... Um, and the guys that work for him, James, Kevin, Ryan, Casey, hanging out with those guys. I mean, they, yeah. they've become family. I mean, that's like, that's my Willy Wonka chocolate, fa- chocolate <laughs> factory. It's like my Shangri-La. I freaking love it. I yeah. absolutely love it. I, and I feel like they're family. I love every one of them. And I'll go in there a lot of times and just ask Matty, you know, his advice on what yeah. leather to use or how to treat it or and so, uh, yeah, I remember when I first started going in there, you know, I bought my first hide, which is Nantucket Natural, and it was about a six-ounce Nantucket Natural and just this really soft, gorgeous kind of a buckskin color. Yeah. And I dropped 150 bucks on this hide and got it home, and I had a bag design. My, my very first ever bag design, I was making all my grocery bags, and it was like an S-shaped so you roll the sides up, and then the ends turn opposite each other, and then it's just an L stitch, and then an opposing L stitch. Oh, that's cool. Super simple. Yeah. And that was my that was the first design that I concocted in my head, and so I bought this bag. And the first thing I did is I cut out a little pattern. I still have the bag, and on my Sears Canmore machine, I stitched that first that first bag, and then I realized that that machine is. It, it ain't gonna cut it. I'm gonna go for this thing up. And my girlfriend at the time, you know, I was going back and forth. Should I get an industrial machine or not? And I'm like, I can't really justify it. Like, I'm not making money doing this. And her advice was, you know, people fly fish and they drop thousand bucks on a fly rod, or people yeah. ride motorcycles. You know, they'll they they're buying gas and you know gear and helmets and yeah. 10,000 bucks for a dirt bike they're going to wreck. Yeah, and they're not getting paid. So if this is what you want to do, then do it. It's one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had in my entire life. So I dropped 1,000 bucks and I got an industrial sewing machine. And I made three more bags out of that hide. And then I went and bought another hide. And I made three or four more bags. And I realized that I've hides are expensive, first <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. I was running out of money. I was contracting at the time, but I was running out of money. So I had probably eight bags piled up in the corner of the living room, and I just started taking them to job sites and selling them for 150 bucks a pop. If I could sell one bag, I could get another hide. Uh, and that's how I got started. 
There you go. It wasn't even out of like wanting to sell bags to try and build a business. It was completely well, organic. Just, just like wanting I to have be to, able I, to buy another hide so you can make yeah, another bag. I, Exactly. I have to sell <laughs> one of these twelve bags that are piled up in the corner of my living room, so that can't I can be get sentimental about bags. Yeah, so I can I can feed my fix, and that's that is. I I just realized I did not remotely answer your question, so I'm going to circle back. But <laughs> it's all but, good. Um. Yeah the 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 fixation on leather was was very much yeah it it was directly correlated to the metal yeah to just that the the changing the patina the aging one one thing that i've always done with the leather that i that i pick out is i pick out leather that's it's imperfect yeah just like the rusted metal that I'm making these beautiful art pieces out of, it's, it's you know wabi sabi. It's beauty in the perfect in imperfections, in the distress, and in the scars, and yeah, and that that's what's most beautiful. And that's you should see my kitchen island. It's a steel kitchen island, and it's just got scratches from opening wine bottles and setting hot pans down and it's just all like rusty and character and patina and it's cool as hell i love yeah. it yeah and that's my favorite thing and, that, and that's why the leather that i pick out for these bags yeah that's i pick it out because it's gonna start off beautiful and it's just gonna get cooler and cooler and cooler and cooler yeah and you buy a coach bag or a michael kors and it's gonna look the same it's going to distress and wear out because it's made in China. But yeah. the leather is going to look the same as it did three years ago. It's going to be yeah. stiff, black, shiny. Yep. My bags, are they're going to be a part of your body in three years. They're going to shape and patina and mold so that when you pick it up and throw it on your shoulder, it just it yep. hugs your body. Yeah. Because it's real leather. It's the real deal. Yeah, it's a whole... It's an organic product. I think I answered your question. I don't know. This is my first podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's my second. So we're doing great. (laughs) This is my second bourbon. I wish I had some. I I, I had a little cranberry and vodka. That's like all we have in the house right now. Um, Just a little... Um, God, man. So you're, I know you posted your wallet. Is that the same wallet that you posted on your Instagram a couple weeks ago or whenever it was? It's just, it looks like it's been in your pocket for the last five years. Is that the same? Are you still using the same wallet? The same first wallet? Um, no, I, I use the same design. Uh, what, what I do is anytime that I get a new leather, because it's a certain thickness of leather that I use for those wallets. Mm-hmm. And I try and find a leather that's going to... But the coolest thing ever is when you take a leather... Like, I love, like, Nubucks and Suede's, where mm-hmm. they're just kind of like... Oh, what's the word? They're just... Um, they're not glossy. They're not waxy. They're mm-hmm. just kind of rough, rough-coated. 
But there's so much character underneath that that if you make a wallet out of a leather like that, oh, it just changes and it it softens and it glosses up and it patinas. So freaking cool. So I scout leathers like that. And whenever I see a new leather, a new color, a new temper, you know, I, I buy it up and I, I make the first wallet out of that hide I make for me. And I just wear that wallet for about six months and I see what it's going to do. Wow. And I'll, you know, I'll make more wallets and I'll yeah. sell them. But I personally want to see what that leather is going to do. Yeah. So that's like your, that's your sentimental. That's your sentimental. And so when you come into my shop, one of the tables, I've got, you know, new wallets sitting there. And then I've got all of my old wallets. Yeah. That are all all you know shaped and worn in and patinaed and so i can tell people oh this leather right here it starts off this kind of bone gray color but it turns out to look like you know an old banana skin it's just kind of waxy and glossy and brown and it looks amazing and so people can correlate oh that's what this wallet because first you know you buy a leather wallet and it's just all stiff and yeah you're wondering and like this is going to feel awkward in my pocket it's like no give it like a week and you're not even going to know it's there and so I've had I don't know I've gone through probably eight wallets in the last couple of years because I'm always grabbing the latest leather that I want to see what it's going to do and fill it up and and then I give them to friends too I'll give them a wallet you know if if I've only been in mine for a month and it hasn't really worn in yet but I want to see what this one's going to do I'll just hand my buddies a wallet and just be like, "Where you know, wear this every day and yeah, give me feedback. Let me let me know what it does." That's cool. How did the uh, how did the cribbage board come to life? Was it was it kind of like a like an epiphany? Like, hey, we we should do this, or was it a conversation, or was it like like, let's go like let's go through the process of. From idea, like how the idea came to light, to the first prototype, and then, you know, basic production and yeah. the, the 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 response from the the first people that weren't part of the the brainchild, yeah. like how yeah, I, when the, that first I time guess. that first time you flipped it out. <laughs> on the bar table or on the or, yeah. or on the bar and the guy next to you is like what's that yeah you know, let's 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 go from inception to to there let's walk walk me through it cuz i it's it's such well, a really cool story that i i can't not hear it again cuz i've heard it you've told me it like two or three times and every time i freaking love it so let's go well, i appreciate that man um so i grew up playing cribbage you know, we'd go down to Summer Lake and we'd go duck hunting and middle of the day, you know, when the storms were rolling in and we'd go back to the to camp to have lunch, we'd sit there and we'd have cribbage tournaments. And then at night after hunting, we'd drink whiskey and have cribbage tournaments. And so um, I love cribbage. I hadn't played it in a long time and I can't remember how I got back into it. Um friend or several friends started talking about it and there was a a cribbage club at 
Whitewater Tap House on Wednesday nights uh, benefiting OAS. And I think that was, you know, I wanted to, I started thinking about cribbage again. And the cribbage board that I had was the same cribbage board that I grew up with. Um, it was just in the, in the stack of games in my parents' closet. Yeah. And so when they were moving, I made sure and grabbed that cribbage board and it had just been sitting in my closet for a while. And so that was the only cribbage board I had. And what I didn't like is that, you know, if I want to take it to a bar, I got to have the cribbage board and I got to have the cards and, you know, which isn't really, that's, I mean, that's a first world problem. That's not really a, a big deal, but I started But it's a foot long about, and it's a, it's a thing. Like it's, it's yeah, not a simple. Yeah, it's, it's cumbersome and you're knocking people over on the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> you're spilling beers when you're setting it up. And <laughs> you should have legs. <laughs> oh God. So. I just had it in my head that how cool it would be to have a, a travel cribbage set and have it kind of all in one. And so I got online and just scouted and, and looked around and I, I couldn't really see anything. I could see like little travel cribbage boards. Little plastic pieces of but, garbage but kind the, of thing. the deck of cards was separate. So you still had two items you've got to keep track of. And... So just like with all of my other designs, I was laying in bed at three in the morning and couldn't sleep because I was racking my brain trying to figure out the nuances of this of this cribbage board. And it hit me that if I made it slightly bigger than a deck of cards and I made two of those boxes and hinged them with leather, I could slide the cards in one side and I could slide the pegs in the other side, a little pouch with the pegs so i got up it was you know five six o'clock in the morning i went out to my shop and i had some i had a stick of sepele wood and i milled the very first board i you know i milled the whole thing i milled the 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 wood and ripped everything down and dimensioned it all glued it all together and then on my laser engraver uh, one of my lasers, I can scan an image and then print that image onto wood or leather, whatever I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So I spent a few hours and I just drew out, I dimensioned out exactly how I wanted the lines and the holes and the whole thing. I scanned that. I printed that onto that first ever cribbage board and it just burrowed dots where each one of those holes are and then i went out to the drill press i drilled the holes out sanded it all down lacquered it and then i glued it to leather and i made the first ever cribbage board and i made it you know i didn't know i was gonna sell a ton of them i made it because i wanted it like yeah. that, this is exactly what i wanted i designed it custom just for me and so i started yeah, anytime I'd go to the brewery or to a bar or a restaurant, I would just take it with me and I'd set it on the bar. And, you know, it didn't take very long at all before people were like, what the hell is that? It's like, oh, is that cribbage? Oh, shit. Yeah. You sit down and play a game and have a beer and ask me how they can get one and started giving my card out and started getting demands. And there you go. That's, 
yeah, it just it it took off. It, it's way bigger than I ever thought. It's that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's it's, it's huge. It, I sell so many, I sell more of those than anything else. Easy. Really, I just one today. Yeah, a lady reached out to me on Facebook, and I met her at the shop. She bought one. That's so cool. Yeah, I sell a ton of those stupid things. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I still have. I still play on the first ever. Yeah. I'm glad, yeah. yeah, no, that's, it's funny how you've kept that, like I was saying with the wallets, you keep that sentimental in every one of your projects, every high, yeah. you, you, you keep that sentimental thing. So you're not, you're, you haven't lost that, that part from your initial experience with art and your love for it. So you're able to keep that one thing and watch it yeah. age and watch it come to life. And that's yeah. yours, but you can still sell and, and make a living out of it. Uh, yeah well and that's and the reason for that with the bags like when i'm developing a bag is i keep the first ever version because my my mindset in designing that first ever bag i want to maintain that base point mm -hmm. and after i make that first bag and then, okay, well, it needs to be a little bit wider. Or this seam, I need to adjust this seam and pull it up a little bit. And, you know, it needs a pocket here, whatever. whatever wherever I go from there, that second one, third one, fourth one, you know, I, I sell them, I give them to family or friends or whatever. Yeah. But I keep that first model so that I can always return right back to where I started. Yeah. Knowing, okay, well, I did this on on the second one. I did this on the third one, but this is the the first ever. This this is where my heart was. This is where my mind was. This is where I started. Yeah. And then I, then I can go from there again. I can start back at the trailhead and make you know, make little changes all over again if you need to. Yeah. That's so cool. That's an interesting concept to for others to integrate into their like production models is always keep that first one so you have that home base if if everything just falls apart because i've done that where i've started a project and i've made changes along the way and to like didn't keep didn't make a copy of my first drawing if i had it detailed out or whatever and just marked up the original and then i i get to a certain point i'm like okay i need to start over and i can't because I have no, I have yeah. no like starting point. I have to completely like rack yeah. my brain, and it's and it's never as good the second time because I, I always forget to keep that that first initial thought. Yeah, you know. So, did you, you've kept your collaborations going with the leather too, haven't you? Have you have you uh, have you got anything coming up? Have you been working on anything that's you know outside of your normal realm of products that you've you've you know cataloged over the years are you are you starting to uh, reach out or people reaching out to you to do things um i've uh, i've started working with a company called broke mm -hmm. and they do equestrian bags and accessories and they approached me ryan uh, approached me a couple months ago, three months ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. And he wanted me to make uh, some hat bags for a local company. 
And I turned that one down because I knew that he was never no nobody's going to pay <laughs> yeah. what I what I would want to get out of the they were pretty detailed bags and so I just turned it down and said you know no thank you I I don't think I'll, I'm interested but he asked to meet with me anyway so he came into my shop and checked out the shop and then commissioned me to make. Um, Basically, so they have a website, they go to trade shows, and they have different accessory bags for, you know, like barrel racers and, Mm -hmm. you know, horse people. So they'll have like these, I just got done designing a prototype for like a big tote bag, just a big gnarly bucket bag with different sized handles and just pockets everywhere. Yeah. And it's just for... You know, these girls that go to horse shows, they can throw their makeup bag and brushes and just anything. You could fit freaking 100 pounds worth of shit in this bag. (laughs) And it's just a huge bucket. And so I created, I, I, they already had a prototype uh, made out of Cordura. I just took that prototype and I redesigned it a little bit and made it out of leather. Yeah. And then tote bags, and they've got a smaller version of that. They've got a bag that goes over the horn of the saddle with, like, attachment points. And mm-hmm. and so that's kind of turned into my contracting. You know, as I've gotten farther away from construction, um, I've picked up partnerships like that. Well, that's probably the first one in a while, um, like a real collaboration. But it's basically just like contract sewing. And yeah. it's just it's just easy money. Like, you know, they come to me with a design, I do a couple prototypes, we agree on one, and boom, I put my head down and it's just production. And yeah. I make really good money and that keeps my doors open so that I can do more, you know, custom bags and then and then I'm not, you know, dying to get more custom bags. I can just kind of float and I can Yeah. Um, focus, you know, kind of slow down a little bit. I'm not so hurried to get this one done and grab the next one as quickly as I can. And, and so it's it's kind of become like my steady nine to five is that production work. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. And yeah, you, it's a they're a great company. Oh my god, Broke is an amazing company. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for them, and they just freaking love me. <laughs> that's great man they haven't spent enough time with me i don't think <laughs> oh come on now oh geez um, every artist i know second guesses themselves like on a daily basis that's part of it it really yeah. is part of it that mindset that you know that's i'm i'm a i'm a sham and you, you know, you look at the problem with like Instagram and Facebook now is you know you look at these other artists that are doing it, and you think like, man, that guy's got his shit together. He's got it dialed in on that that, that, that one post. Yeah, <laughs> what, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, wondering if I should just quit and go work at Lowe's or, you know, just this, this ain't working. This ain't working. But, yeah. Well, and that's yeah. a, that's a psychological battle, psychological, emotional battle of being an artist and, and especially mm-hmm. doing, doing what you do. 
as far as making a living at it, it's one thing to do it as a hobby or a passion, but to actually do it and make a living at it. You know, we talked about, um, the, the effects of the daily effects and of what you do and what, uh, what other people do like you, um, and to get through each day, you know, and conquer those, those doubts and that constant, you know, in the back of your head, what's going to happen today? Am I going to hang it up today? You know, is it, yeah. You know, and there's always there's always different levels and different phases in time and in in the in the growth of a of a company like yours um where like you said during the you know 0809 where it was just you were down to nothing, you know. And yeah. And uh, that happens with a lot of people. But how did you what was what was your best um or I guess what still is your best way to get through those moments and, you know, still have, still have the motivation still have the dedication to your craft and your art to carry on each day or each week, depending on how, how severe, how extreme those, those feelings are. This is a, this is a bit deeper of a question. Yeah. You know, um, but I think it, there's a lot of people out there that, need to hear, you know, what it takes or, you know, that it is possible to work through that and, you know, maybe take away, you know, one little keynote of how, how a person can carry on and recover from that, from a devastating, like crushing, just that the weight of the world is on you the moment you open your eyes in the morning, but you're still able to get up, process it. And, uh, get through your day well for for me a a few things when you and i first talked almost a year ago and you brought up this podcast the reason that it really resonated with me is that um i think every artist goes through that you know they Mm -hmm. they go through that through that doubt and that fear and I don't know, thousands of times I've been in my living room just wondering, like, what the hell am I doing? Like, I need to just go drum up some construction work and quit chasing this stupid dream. It's not going to happen. And I think every artist, every artist goes through that. They have to. Yeah. You would be human if you didn't. And for me, uh, one thing that really helped me was listening to a podcast podcast called how they do it how they did it and it's basically just um you know they they talk to successful you know people that are on the other side kate spade uh the really good one was the guy from otterbox yeah and they just talk about you know how they went from you know he had a plastic company in i think michigan or somewhere where he just did, you know, just a contract plastic molder. He would just make these molds and he would do you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, the matchbox or whatever, whatever. And the how he got into the trade shows, he did a couple of phone cases and then Apple got a hold of him. And once Apple got a hold of him, the yeah. shit blew up. But hearing him talk about having that business and trying to figure out like, how do I, okay, I don't want to be here seven days a week. I don't want to be working 12 hour days. I, you know, I want to figure out how do I get out of this? 
and then managing that growth. Uh, one thing that he said that has always resonated with me is it was it was like assembling an airplane in the air, and it it that there's so much truth to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly what it feels like is trying to manage the growth and. I think I think that for me um I slimmed it down. I'm still driving a truck that I paid $600 for 12 years ago. Yeah. Like I I have cut down as much as possible financially. As much as possible, but I still go to the brewery. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but your overhead <laughs> Your general overhead, right? right. Is, general is, is, overhead is as yeah. low just to just to limit that stress input. On exactly. Your so I, I know how much I need to generate a month, and I and I tried to to cut that down as as much as possible. What was yeah. the question? <laughs> <laughs> how do you manage the crushing emotional and psychological? Oh feelings yeah. every day that you know they they might not be there every day but they they kind of are and when it's i know for me like i don't i don't i don't necessarily suffer from, from like major anxiety but there's there's times where i'll wake up in the morning and it's just absolutely yeah. crushing and i that's just for me in my daily life like i this podcast isn't isn't a it's not an income source for me you know, yeah, like it, it's, it, it, it will be, this is going to be a big deal, dude. I, but, I but, believe it's going to be a really big deal. No, thank you. For, um, but for you, for like, me, yeah, for, for me, it's creating. I go back to my roots. I go, I go back to why I'm here in the first place. Yeah. And why I'm here is because I simply had a desire to sew. And I simply had a desire to design a bag that's never been seen before. And I simply had a desire to build that bag, look at it, feel it, inspect it, and make a better bag. And I go back and I create. Sometimes I'll be, you know, five orders deep and there's deadlines looming and I'll spend the day you know, making a a pouch for you, know, whatever, some yeah. obscure, stupid thing, and I'll I'll meticulously pine over every single detail of the stupid little thing. Yeah, because I have to not think about the schedule that's on the whiteboard next to me, and I just have to go back to just letting my heart lead me, and and just create. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's like I started fishing when I was a kid with my dad, and he taught me how to fly fish. And I discovered steelhead in my early 20s, and I just started steelheading. And that's all, that's all I wanted to do in the entire world. I got rid of golf clubs. <laughs> yeah, I, I quit hunting. I quit, I quit absolutely everything. I bought a drift boat, and that's all I did is every year. As soon as the steelheader in the river, you know, come late July, you didn't see me till first of the year. I was just all fall, Damn. winter. I was just pounding it year after year. After, that's all I wanted to do in the entire world. And when 
things would get frustrating and I'd go on a skunk streak and not catching any fish, I'd grab my little three-weight rod and I would go out to a little creek somewhere and yeah, I'd, fi- I'd fish for dinks, little pan fryers. Yeah. Just because you, you can catch a hundred of them in a day and it's just simple. It's back to basics. It's getting back to why I'm doing this in the first place. I just... I just want to catch a bunch of fish, and I just, I want to be a kid again. I want to just, yeah, I I just want to dink. Yeah. And so when things get really stressful for me, and that's what I do is I just, I cut everything out, and I just, what does my heart want to make right now in this moment? And that's what I'm going to make. And I just focus completely on that, and then I'm better. It does it. That's yeah, awesome. That, that's amazing. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really great insight into, you know, focusing in and tuning out the world and the negativity and, and the doubt and just being 100% in that moment and being able to just flush through something and get right with the world, get right with yourself and then move on. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, cool. it's, it's just getting getting back to why am I here and why am I fighting every day? Yeah. Why why am I doing this? I'm doing this because my heart wanted this more than anything else in the world and why did it want this? It wanted this because I need to design, I need to create. I need to I need yeah. to create. So, yeah. That's what that's, I mean. That's so awesome. So, we got to we got to end it we're going up. We're almost on a yeah. hour, hour and a half, man. Um, but this is definitely not going to be the last one of these we do. Um, where can where can everybody find your stuff? Uh, let's do some uh, let's do some plugs here. Uh, Stokes Co. Period Leather on Instagram. Stokes and Company Leather on Facebook. Uh, you can find me in Bend, Oregon. Uh, 1385 Northeast 2nd, right behind Black Bear Diner. Um, Right now, I don't have regular hours. I will here shortly with the holiday season coming up, but right now I'm just taking a little break. Yeah, appointment only? Not not dealing with people. Yeah, appointment only. There we go. All right, guys. Uh, I own one. Well, I don't own. I purchased one of his bags for my wife three years ago. I, seems like I still remember that story. I remember when you told me at the party. I didn't know that it was you, and you're yeah, like, man. "How do you clean? Or, or what do you do with a white leather bag?" And I said, "Don't buy a white leather bag." <laughs> <laughs> but it's gorgeous. This thing is you. It was funny because it was like two weeks until Christmas. I was procrastinating worse than ever. And my and and her sister was like, "You just need to buy her one of these bags." I'm like, "Okay." She gives me your number. I reach out, and you're like, "Well, I'm going to the leather shop tomorrow to pick out leather. What color do you want? White? <laughs> oh no!" <laughs> and then, no, you and then don't like want the, white. <laughs> yeah, and then like the week before Christmas, you're like, "Hey." I'm in I'm in Portland right now. Come come and meet me. We're <laughs> yeah. at New Seasons or whatever off of MLK. Yeah, we met on New Seasons on on Willems. Yeah. In, and uh <laughs> Yeah, it's a gorgeous purse. Super good construction. I mean, it's it's 
it'll last the, the ages. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been a pleasure, Matthew. This is yeah, great. Right on, brother. We're I gonna really do it again. It. I appreciate you, and uh, we'll talk again. Everybody, have a good All night, right, man. Good day, and uh, we'll <laughs> see you next time.